I want to talk to you tonight about Samson. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, many of you know about Samson. You, you know that he was set apart by God before he was ever born. He was set apart to do great things for the Lord. The power of God was upon his life, and God wanted to use him to begin delivering his people. But as great as Samson was, hear me say this, he had a scheme in his life, a scheme that the enemy used to bring him down time and time again. I see this in, in my life and the people's lives around me, that the enemy has a scheme that he uses. <laughs> and he uses it to weaken us, to, to, to keep us being all that God wants us to be and doing all that God wants us to do. And because Samson was ignorant of that scheme, he put himself in situations where the enemy could exploit his weaknesses and capitalize on them. He does the same in your life and in my life as well. It's important that we take an honest look at, at our lives and we ask God to reveal the plots of the enemy designed to bring us down, uh, the things that, that, that he uses to distract us from our destiny and our purpose. 2 Corinthians 2 uh, verse 11 makes it very clear that the enemy develops schemes in our life for one purpose, so that he can get the advantage over us. And we cannot afford to be ignorant of his schemes. The dictionary, I looked it up just in the Webster's Dictionary this week. The dictionary defines scheme as someone's plan for achieving something, especially something that will bring them benefit. A scheme is a plan of action, a strategy, a secret or underhanded plan. That's Webster's. The enemy of our soul has an underhanded plan for achieving something in your life and mine. A plan that will benefit him, a secret strategy designed to bring us down. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Over and over in scripture, we see the, the, the word of God refer to the schemes of the devil. It would do us good to pay attention to what a scheme really is. The biblical definition of this word scheme is to follow up or investigate by method and settled plan. To follow crafty, frame devices, deceive, cunning arts, deceit, craft, trickery. So not only does the enemy have a scheme for our lives, but his plans are deceitful. They're tricky and they're crafty. And that's why it's so easy to be unaware of them, to be ignorant of them. I don't want you to miss that Ephesians 6.11 says, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There's a definite article there before the word scheme. Friday morning people will tell you that's important not to miss. It's the schemes of the devil. It means they are specific schemes. They're not random schemes. The enemy of your soul has studied your life and, and he's looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses and then he devises tailor-made schemes. Schemes to bring you down. He's calculated. He knows the sin. Hebrews tells us to be careful of the sin that so easily entangles us. Can I tell you that the enemy of your soul knows the sin that so easily entangles you and he capitalizes on it. That's why Paul says, don't be unaware or ignorant of his schemes. As I said, 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that the enemy develops schemes in our life so that he can get an advantage over us. So, uh, so we should not be unaware of his schemes. I have a good friend who, who used to coach basketball at Marquette University. I think she's, she's coaching right now at, at Pitt. But, but, but when she was here at Marquette, she would always leave Bible study and say, I'm going home to study tapes, to review tape. And I would be like, what is that? And, and, and she went on to tell me how she watches video of her opponent. 
And then she, she watches for their weaknesses. She studies those tapes. She watches for their weaknesses and, and their vulnerabilities. And, and, and she devises a plan for her team so that they can defeat their opponent. Can I tell you that you have an enemy who likes to win as much as my friend Harry? And he spends time studying your life, looking for your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses because he wants to devise a plan in order to capitalize on them so he can get an advantage over you and defeat you. We cannot afford to be unaware. Lest you think that the devil makes you behave the way you behave and do the things you do, read James 1 verse 14. It says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Notice it's our own desires, that, that, that our own weaknesses, our, our own desires that the enemy capitalizes on, that he uses to draw us away and entice us and snare us in his trap. I'm praying right now for some people in my life who, who are doing some naughty things, who, who, who are not behaving in a way that is pleasing to God. And I'm praying this scripture at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it says, that, pray that they will be granted a spirit of repentance and that they they would come to their senses and escape the snare of the enemy after being taken captive to do their to do his will. I pray by name, do I not, Leslie? I pray by name for these people. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are going to get their attention, that you are going to guide them into all truth, and that you are going to give them a spirit of repentance, and they're going to come to their senses, and they're going to escape the snare of the devil because they are being taken captive to do his will. They've been enticed. They've been drawn away because the enemy knew their weaknesses. And trust me, these people, the enemy is capitalizing on their weaknesses. And he's enticing them and drawing them into a trap. And they've been taken captive to do his will. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. We cannot be unaware of the enemy's schemes. He's got a scheme. Samson, will find, had very definite schemes that the enemy used to draw him away and entice. He was, he was created for a purpose. He was set apart from his mama's womb. God had a plan for his life, <laughs> but the enemy had one too. And he used his weaknesses to bring him down, and we're going to see that in this story. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Judges chapter 13. We're going to go fast through this story. Samson was one of the judges. In fact, he was the last judge. We know more about him than any other judge. There are four chapters devoted to his life. He was a man with so much going for him. He had a great start. He was full of potential, but he was drawn away and enticed. And, and we, we know why, because the first sentence in chapter 13 gives us a view of the, of the, the time, the atmosphere, the environment that, that Samson was living in. It says in chapter 13, verse 1, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Israel was in bondage to the enemy, to the Philistines, for 40 years. Life was hard for them, but understand, it was their choices. It was their choices that led them into that place of bondage and pain. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. The, end, the book of Judges ends with, with this verse. In those days there was no king in Israel, uh, in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Samson was living in a time where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. I, I think we're living in a culture not so different right now. And so now we find out that, that chapter 13 starts by saying that, that Israel, uh, everybody was doing what was right and evil in the sight of the Lord, and that the Lord delivered them into the hands of their Philistine, and then suddenly the story shifts, and it's an awkward shift. It's really odd to me how, how, how quickly the, the story is interrupted by a story about a barren woman 
And it, it's, really, uh, it's really odd unless you realize why the two of those things are so connected. Because the author of Judges is, is uh, bringing a national problem down to a personal level. God is fleshing out the problem for us. He's painting a picture in the natural of what's happening in the spiritual. Israel is barren. They are without life. They're not producing. They're without fruit in their life. And they had gotten in that place because one person at a time had compromised. They had turned their back on God's will and believed they could serve both their own will and God's at the same time. They could do what was right in their own eyes. I'm just going to tell you, church, I think we're living in a time where we are calling evil good and good evil. We are doing what is right in our own eyes, and we have totally disregarded God's word. And we as a nation have got to come back to a place where we begin to honor God, to honor his word, to put his word first and stop doing what is right in our own eyes and calling evil good and good evil. The only way back is for the church to begin rise, to rise up and live consecrated holy lives before a lost and a dying world. And we see that in Samson. I believe that God wanted to raise a judge up who was different. And, and his life started out, he had a supernatural birth. His mother was barren. That was disastrous for her in that time. The angel of the Lord appeared uh, to, to her and told her she would have a son. And then went on to give her all kinds of instruction. They said, don't, don't look at this, uh, verse 4. Be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. From the womb, a Nazarite. See, in, in Bible times, it wasn't unusual for people to take a Nazarite vow for a time. But they would usually choose it themselves. But, but this child, uh, Samson, he was going to be a Nazarite from the womb. He was going to be set apart. A Nazarite vow was a time of setting yourself apart for God. It was putting God first. It, they, they couldn't cut their hair and, and they, they couldn't drink wine or eat anything made from the grape. They couldn't touch anything dead or unclean. And it was a picture of being totally consecrated and set apart for God. Samson was to be a Nazarite from the womb. Set apart for God from birth. He was going to be different than the person down the street. And he was going to begin the deliverance of his people. For Samson, it was going to be a lifelong vow. God had plans for his life. Can I just tell you that you and I, are called to be sanctified unto the Lord. We're called to be set apart. We're called to look different than the unbeliever down the street. For, for Samson, he couldn't drink. He had long hair and, and he couldn't touch anything dead. They were all outward signs of something that, 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 sh that, that there was an inward commitment to remain set apart for God. But for Samson, you're going to see in this story, while there may have been outward signs, he, he didn't cut his hair, and his hair looked like he was a Nazarite, but inside, he was living a different life. He was compromising right and left, and it was going to bring him down. Can I tell you, church, my heart grieves over how we call ourselves Christians. We, we profess Christianity. We say we're followers of Christ, but we do not look that much different than the unbeliever down the street. Outwardly, we, we might say we're, we're, we're believers, but inwardly there's no transformation that lines up with that, and we have got to stop it, church. We've got to stop it. The angel of the Lord made it clear that this boy was going to be used of God and he had to be purposeful about setting himself apart. And then we see Samson is born later on in chapter 13 and the very last verse in chapter 13, I love, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Oh, do you just love it? One translation says, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir inside of him. Anybody want a stirring of the spirit of the Lord? Anybody here want the spirit of the Lord to begin to move upon them? I want it so desperately, I can't even tell you. Spirit of the Lord began to move upon Samson. He was going to use him powerfully. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Now Samson. <laughs> now Samson. 
Friday morning people will tell it will will tell you that the word now or then is a mark of succession. It's a sequence sequence of of events, and it's saying the spirit of the Lord began to move upon Samson, <laughs> but the very next thing was now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman, a daughter of the Philistine. You say, well, that's not a big deal. It might not seem like it. But you need to know that the Philistines were enemies of Israel. Samson and all the Israelites were told not to intermarry, not to have anything to do with those women. And, and, and I want you to see the verbiage here. Now Samson went down. <laughs> the writer uses that phrase, I went through and highlighted it in green everywhere in my Bible in, in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. Samson went down used 10 times. 10 times we're told he went down. Those few words is all we need to know. They tell us the direction his life was going because of the choices he was making. We see that phrase used over and over in scripture. When someone leaves a place of protection that God has them for them, there is protection in staying in God's will. They leave, uh, they depart God's will and, and the place of protection from obedience. And the, those words are always used, went down, go down. Anytime you choose to go against God's will, you will go down. You will begin a downhill spiral of destruction. We see in this story, going down is the theme of Samson's life. Even though Timnah was geographically south or down from Zorah, the place where Samson was coming from, he didn't just go down physically to Timnah. He went down. It, it was more than, than just a geographical decline. He was declining spiritually as well. And he did that, as you will see in this story, one compromise at a time. Church, I'm telling you, we will go down one compromise at a time. We will decline spiritually one compromise at a time. Was not aware of the enemy's schemes. He fell for them hook, line, and sinker. We see that in verse 1b. He saw a woman uh, in Timnah. That word saw, I wish you could see how many uh, times it's used in these four chapters. It's either see or a form of see. <laughs> and, and what we're learning is that Samson sees with his eyes and that motivates him. Not obedience to God doesn't motivate him, but what he sees with his eyes. He clearly walks by sight and not by faith. Instead of keeping his eyes sing single, set on pleasing the Lord and fulfilling the call in his life, he began to set his, th his eyes on the things of this world. He began to be controlled by the lust of his eyes. 1 John 2 verse 16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. These things will bring you down every time. The NLT says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. Samson saw a woman. Just a woman, but a woman in Timnah. Timnah was enemy territory, Philistine territory. Ah. Samson had no business in enemy territory. He was an Israelite, and not just an Israelite, he was a Nazarite, one who was devoted to the Lord. It's a picture of compromise starting so early in his life. Spirit of the Lord moved upon Samson, and then immediately we see him making a compromise, and he's in enemy territory. Samson, even though marrying foreigners uh, was forbidden by God, Samson ignored God's command and he would end up paying dearly for it. This was not about obeying God. As I said, Samson is seeing something with his eyes and lusting after it with his heart. When we make a decision, guide it by our eyes instead of by the Lord. When we're governed by desire and not obedience, we only have ourselves to thank when we find ourselves in the arms of the enemy the next morning. This was the first of many times Samson would wander into enemy territory. I want you to see that the story of Samson begins and ends the same way, with a woman. Don't tell me that it's not one of the schemes that the enemy used in his life. 
The enemy used women to entice him and draw him away from, from all God had for him, from the destiny and the purpose that God created him for. Even though we see in verse 25 that the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him, he was controlled not by the Spirit, but by the lust of his eyes. He had a weakness uh, to, to, control his, he, to control his lusts and desires. Scripture says that Samson saw her, and, and he said to his father and mother, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. In the original language, that, that literally means she's right in my eyes. Remember, Samson's living in a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Here we see it. Now you need to know in that time, the father would choose a wife for the son. Samson is, is not going to the father for that decision. He's instead making the decision based on what was right in his own eyes. He said, get her for me, for she pleases me. He made his own choice. He's not pleasing the Lord. He's not pleasing his parents, but he's pleasing himself. He saw a woman. He's enticed by what he saw, the lust of his eyes. I wonder if each time Samson compromised, he thought, it didn't matter. See, God understands. God loves me anyway. God wants to bless me anyway. And yet a day of reckoning was coming, and we'll see that as we go through this story. Notice Samson's first words. First words in the Bible are so important. They're always important. It'd be so fascinating one of these times to do a series on all the first words. We know that Jesus' first words were, surely you would know I would be about my father's business. John the Baptist, his first words were, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. First words are important. Last words are important as well. Samson's first word were not quite as spiritual as Jesus's and John the Baptist, but they certainly told us a lot about his heart. He said, I, get her for me, for she is right in my own eyes. She pleases me. He didn't just stumble on the forbidden. He went looking for her. And at the end of the story, as it'll be for you and me as well, the forbidden he indulged himself in, left him imprisoned, and eventually destroyed him. Samson let his desires run wild. He was enticed by the lust of the flesh and made no attempt to stay out of enemy territory. He was a strong man defeated by his weaknesses, a strong man unaware of the schemes of his life and he paid dear uh, uh, schemes in his life and he paid dearly for it. In verse 5, we see that Samson obviously convinced his parents to let him marry the girl. And so now they're on their way to Timnah together, to enemy territory together. Now he's sucked his family in, into that same compromise. And, and suddenly Samson just happens to find himself, the Bible says, in a vineyard. Now, what shouldn't he have any part of because of the Nazarite vow? Grapes, wine. <laughs> he's in a vineyard, isn't it? just so happens that he found himself there and you know <laughs> again he's where he shouldn't be that equals temptation don't put yourself in a place of temptation it was enemy territory again count on the enemy meeting you there when you put yourself in that place of temptation and you don't run from it count on the fact that the enemy will 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 meet you there look at the verbiage in, in verse 5 it says now to his surprise a young lion came roaring against him you have an enemy seeking whom he may devour He's like a lion. He prowls. <laughs> Don't be surprised when you find yourself in a place you shouldn't be, in enemy territory, being tempted by something you know you shouldn't have. Don't be surprised when the enemy shows up. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. But the Bible says he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Now, what do we know about a Nazarite vow? What shouldn't he touch? Anything dead, anything unclean. So look what it says in verse 6b. But he did not tell his mother or father what he had done. <laughs> he knew enough to hide it. We work with men who have sexual addictions, and one of the things that I always say to men, they say, you know, I didn't really know that what I was doing was wrong. And I'm like, really? Then why didn't you tell your wife? They know enough to hide it because they know it's wrong. 
Samson knew it was wrong. He knew enough to hide it from his mother and father. Sometime later, verse 8 says, he went back to marry this woman, and he turned aside to the lion carcass, you know, the lion that he had killed with his very own hands a short time before. Now the dead lion was there, and it was filled with a beehive, and there was honey in the lion. And so he scoops out some honey. What's he touch again? A dead animal. He shouldn't be touching a dead animal. He goes back. He, he seeks out this dead animal. It's a, got honey there. Honey is sweet. It's a picture of the pleasures of life, the sweet things in life. The animal is dead. It's a picture of um, death, <laughs> the finding pleasure in uncleanliness. The, de- the animal is dead, finding pleasure in uncleanliness. He scoops out the honey, and he takes it back to his mom and dad and gives it to them, but doesn't tell them where he found it. Again, he's dragging them into his compromise. So verse 10, his father went down to see this woman, and Samson made a feast there. Now, what do we know about feasts, wedding feasts? What do they do? Wedding at Cana, what did they do? Drank wine. Uh, I, I read an article that said that archaeologists in this area that we're in right now in Gaza, uh, in, in this place in Timna where, where um, Samson was, that they had uncovered the ruins uh, of the city uh, where, when Samson was there. And it was filled with not just uh, small drinking uh, containers, but massive ones. And, and archaeologists say that it's because the men of Timnah were big-time drinkers. So Samson is having a feast. What again is going to be at this feast? Wine. What do we know about the Nazarite vow? Should not have it. Compromise again. So a feast. He begins to joke about the lion and the honey, so he's, flimp- he's flippant about compromising his vow. He didn't have a fear of the Lord. John Bevere is writing a new book. It's going to be released next month about the fear of the Lord and how we've lost that. He was indifferent regarding holiness and the commands of God, and it looked like he was getting away with it. See, it always does. The enemy wants you to think that. When he sets a scheme in front of you and you take the bait and you become ensnared in it, he will always give you a time that you feel like, I'm not getting caught. God doesn't care. It doesn't matter. I can do this and get away with it. But the payday is coming. And we'll see that in Samson's life. So he, he talks to these, these guys. He gives them a riddle. He says, if you can sur- solve this riddle, I'll give you 10, um, ten let's just see what the, the verbiage is here, 10 changes, uh, t- 30 linen gar- garments and 30 changes of clothing. And, and so they are like panicked because if they can't solve this riddle, they have to give him these 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And so they go to his wife and they say, you have to entice him. Interesting, that word entice, coax, the enemy sets us up when we allow ourselves to be enticed and drawn in. Remember, James, we're enticed by our own evil desires and drawn in, and then it brings death. Remember that scripture? Same word, entice. Entice him to tell us the the, the answer to this riddle. And and so she goes to him, and she says, uh, you know, if you love me, you'll tell me the answer to this riddle. And he says in verse 16, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. Why should I explain it to you? That tells me there's another scheme going on here. So one of the schemes is women. This scheme is betrayal. He says, why should I tell you? He's about to marry this woman. He should have a trust. He should be trusting her. But, But he doesn't trust anybody. I haven't even told my mother and father. I'm afraid you're going to betray me. Betrayal is a scheme, and we're going to see it over and over and over in Samson's life, where he is betrayed over and over and over, and he gets angry, and he acts out of that betrayal, and it, and it just takes him downhill quickly. So he enticed him, coaxed him to tell you. <laughs> he does. She betrays him. He gets ticked. He goes off and he says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down, killed 30 men, took their clothing, took it back to the the men to make good his vow. He said he would give them 30 changes of clothing. 
So now he's killed again. He's touched dead animals. He's compromised his Nazarite vow again. He goes back to the men and he finds, guess what? His wife, he wants to lay with her. So the marriage, he's thinking that's his wife. And her dad has given him to her, his best man. Betrayal again. Now he's super ticked, and, and he goes running. He, he, he goes away. His anger was aroused. He went back to his father's house, and, and, and Samson gets angry, and in chapter 15, verse 3, it says that he went and caught 300 foxes and took the torches, turned the foxes' tails tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of tails, and when he t when set the torches on fire and let the foxes go standing into the standing grain of the Philistines, burned up all of the, the grain and as well as the vineyards and the olive groves, and the Philistines were ticked off, all because of a scheme. The scheme was betrayal. He took the bait. He got angry. It started to escalate. He goes, Are you tell me it's not escalating. Do you know how much energy it would take to catch 300 foxes? 300 foxes, transport them back, tie their tails together. They're, they're mean. Tie their tails together, put a torch. Do you, do you have any idea how much energy he's investing? He's just killed 30 people. He goes back. Now he's even more angry. He goes out. He catches 300 foxes. Think about it. See, that's what revenge and a desire for revenge will do. It'll suck every bit of energy out of your life. Anger will suck every bit of energy out. You will spend so much energy, wasted energy, trying to get even, trying to pay them back. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. We see over and over in the scripture where the enemy has a scheme. Say Samson falls for it. He gets angry. He feels betrayed. He gets furious. He does something crazy. He compromises his, his vow, his relationship with, with God. <laughs> he pays a dear price, and it just escalates over and over and over. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. I'm just telling you. So now... The Philistines are ticked. <laughs> they go to Samson's wife, who was now given to his best man, and, and, and they say, we're going to get revenge. They, they came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now Samson is really angry. So he attacked them with hip and thigh and great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt. In the, so, so now he's taking more revenge. And it just goes on and on and on. All went down, went down, went down. I have all these green markings. Went down, went down, went down. Now, in verse 9 and 10, he involves the men of Judah. These are his people. You see, our insecurities, our actions, and our need for revenge will affect other people. Now he's sucked his own people into this as well. And so... That whole thing breaks out. They, they want to know how they can, uh, you know, he says, swear to me that you won't kill me. We're going to deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He breaks loose of the, the ropes that they tie him with. He, he t finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reaches out his hand, kills a thousand men with it, with the jawbone of a donkey. What does the jawbone of a donkey have to be? What happens to the donkey first? Has to be dead. He touches another dead animal, slaughters um, a thousand people, death all over the place, Nazarite vow compromised again. So then, look at verse 18. He becomes very thirsty. He cries out to the Lord. <laughs> and he says, if you just give me something to drink so I don't die of thirst, God comes through for him, refreshes his spirit, Bible says that his spirit returned and he was revived, and then he judged Israel for 20 years. So chapter 15 ends with the fact that he judged Israel for 20 years. I want it to end there. Samson, you got your life together. You made some bad choices, but hey, you ended up judging Israel for 20 years. End of story. It feels like there's been peace for those 20 years. If he had, if he had started 
judging Israel when he was 20. He judged for 20 years. He puts him about 40. And I'm thinking, this is pretty good. He got his, you know, maybe he started out bad, but he got his life. He cried out to the Lord. He got his life together. But then look at verse 16, verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza, and he saw a harlot there, and he went into her. Had sex with a harlot in Gaza. Where is Gaza? Philistine country. <laughs> you want to just say, Samson! I think he's having a midlife crisis. 20 years of judging Israel, 15 ends that way. Samson, why didn't you just let it end that way? But I think he's having, I think those 20 years, he got a little restless. <laughs> and he's back into compromise again. And he goes, he finds a harlot, he sleeps with her. The Philistines find out he's there. Uh, you know, it would be like, I, I read an article, somebody said, it would be like Michael Jordan trying to sneak into town and nobody know who he is. I mean, they knew who Samson was and they knew his weakness, his enemy knew his weakness. So now they say to this beautiful woman, Delilah, entice him. Entice him for us. There's that word, entice again. Coax. Coax him for us. Samson saw her. He, he loved her. You wanted to say, Samson, you wouldn't even know her. You don't, you don't even know her. Do you know what the word Delilah means? To weaken or to bring low. Again, he saw her. Lust of the eyes. <laughs> entice him. Do whatever you need to do. Just entice him. Bring him down. And you know the story. Delilah says, tell me the secret of your strength. He lies to her three times. Three times it fails. And then she pouts and she vexes him till he's miserable. And he eventually gives her the secret of his strength. She lays his head in her lap and lures him to sleep. And the Philistines come, cut off his hair, get, get his strength. They gouge his eyeballs out. They throw him in prison. And now we see this mighty man of God who the Spirit of the Lord had come upon. God was going to use him powerfully, who one compromise after another had weakened, weakened, weakened until he ended up imprisoned and blind and in bondage. It's a picture of our life. It's a picture of our life. The enemy has a scheme. And he wants you to end up imprisoned, in bondage, and blind, powerless. We cannot be unaware of the enemy's schemes. I think the saddest part of this whole story is verse 20 of chapter 16. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. I think the Lord is so merciful. Can, can I just tell you the thing that makes me undone in my life is the mercy of God. He is so full of grace. I love that Connor and Kathy sang that song tonight. I, fall, I run to the Father and I fall in his grace. Can I just tell you, I love the grace of the Lord. He has graced me over and over and over. I'm so undeserving of it. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. The grace of God is so good. But here's what I think. We see over and over in this story Samson compromising, God being with him, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him, enabling and empowering him to do something, then back into a place of compromise until eventually he lands imprisoned, blind, <laughs> without strength, and he didn't even realize that the Lord had departed from him. He presumed on the goodness of the Lord. Leslie, find that quote. It starts out with, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay. Just Google, sin will take you further than you want to go. It's a, David, do you have the quote? Yeah, I want to give that because it's coming through my mind. Um, 
here's what I think we think. We can live a life of compromise and it won't catch up to us. I always say this um, to the men we work with. I got a call from a friend of mine uh, this past week in Illinois. She's just a beautiful woman. Heart of gold, loves Jesus with all of her heart. She caught her husband doing something he should not be doing. And she's just devastated. He's such a sweet guy. I think the first time he compromised, he didn't think that they would be where they are today. I don't even think the second time he compromised, one step in a little bit deeper, he thought he'd end up where they are today. I, I don't even think the third time he compromised what he knew God had said no to. He thought that it would end in the destruction of his marriage. I don't even think it was on his radar because you see, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than, than, than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. It'll take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And oh my goodness, that grieves my soul. That was Ravi Zacharias who quoted that. For those of you that don't know, Ravi Phelps. Lord Jesus. After he quoted, the animate has a scheme. He has a scheme. He has watched you. It's a carefully concocted plan. One that he knows will play upon your weaknesses. That will entice you and draw you in. He wants to bring you down. And you cannot be unaware. Samson lived unaware. He just thought he was doing what felt good, what was pleasurable to his eyes, and he got lured in hook, line, and sinker. He didn't even realize the power was gone. At the end of the story, we find him blind, imprisoned, and in bondage. His failure to, to master his sin left him that way. Scripture says, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. But you must master it. You must master it. He didn't master it and it eventually brought him down. So now we see one more time Samson's crying out to the, the Lord asking him to strengthen him. We don't see any place in this whole story that Samson prayed to God. But now we see that he prays to the Lord and asks him to strengthen him. And he destroyed the temple and all the Philistines who were with him. And the Bible says that he killed more people in his death than he did in his life. Do you know what always strikes me with this story? Hebrews 11, flip over that. That's the, the heroes of the faith. Guess who's listed there? Samson is listed as a hero of the faith. I think it's because even when he was imprisoned, blind, and in bondage, he realized he, it was only after he was broken and humiliated and blind that he realized he could no longer do what was right in his own eyes. And he cried out to God, and God answered. David Guzik, one of my favorite commentators, said, the story of Samson shows the danger of underestimating our own sinfulness. He probably figured he had things under control with his own fleshly lusts, but his desire for love, romance, and sex led directly to his destruction. Samson was the great conqueror who never allowed God to properly conquer him. Can I ask you tonight to take a look at your life? To examine your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities and, and, and to really ask God to show you where the schemes of the devil are in your life, to give you discernment and wisdom about the schemes of the devil in your life. Because if you don't, he will catch you unaware, and he will use those very things to bring you down. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's interesting, the scripture in 2 Corinthians that talks about uh, not being ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Do you know what the verses are that come prior to that? Talking about unforgiveness. And it's interesting that that word scheme is different than the one that's used when it talks about the armor of God. The armor of God, the word scheme means crafty, trickery, that kind of thing. But when it says um, that uh, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, and it tells us not to be ignorant of the enemy's scheme, the word that's used for scheme there is your thoughts and your mind. I don't know, maybe you're super spiritual and you don't have any problem forgiving anyone. But man, when somebody hurts me, right here, baby, I like meditate, I start thinking about what I'm going to say when I see them. I, I, I'm like, and they did this and they said this and, and, and it's in my mind. Don't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. If you go back and look at that passage, what comes prior is all about unforgiveness and how he will use it to, and to cap, to, uh, if you don't take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, he will get in there with a scheme and use it to bring you down. We have got to be aware of the enemy's schemes. What is your scheme? Let's just, while, while Connor comes to close, let, let's just, just call out schemes. We know women definitely is a scheme. Um, I, I think for 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 women, men are visual and uh, enticing women is a scheme. But women, what do we do? We we are not visual, so to speak. But what entices us with men? Attention. That's why women dress the way they dress, why women try to look the way they look, because, you know, if you pay attention to me, if I can get your eyes on me, it makes me feel valuable. It's a scheme. It is a scheme. A scheme to bring you down. Well, what's another scheme? Come on. You're not going to call out what your scheme is. I understand. Nobody's going to say, if they say this, that's their scheme. Nobody's going to do that. Let's just call out somebody else's scheme. Tell me a scheme you see. Here, let's, re let's reword it. What is the scheme you see working in somebody else's life? <laughs> Steve. What is it? Love of money as a scheme. Uh, materialism. Scheme, yep. Greed. Yep. What else? Gossip, big scheme, yep. Diabolos, you gossip people. You got the name of the devil. It's the word malicious gossip. Gossip is diabolos. What? Fear. Oh, that's a scheme to make you afraid, to paralyze you. Yep. Anxiety, to get you full of anxiety so that you don't want to step out for the Lord, so you don't want to say something that God wants you to say because you're so afraid of what people are going to think. The approval of man, big time scheme. What else? Control is a big one. Actually, I believe, truthfully, Jackie, that control is witchcraft. I, because if I control you, I really am trying to... to manipulate and it's I believe it's witchcraft it's you trying to to do what only God can do and it, control I believe is rooted in fear it is you know I, I have to control because if it's out of control I, I you know I'm afraid what else anger is a big scheme mm -hmm. I'm sorry bragging boasting yep pride is the big one yep I'm sorry unbelief yeah if I can entice you so that you don't act on your on your faith and you don't believe, you'll be powerless. Yep. What else? Addiction. Huge scheme. Huge scheme. Come on. One little. And I'm not just talking drugs or alcohol. Me. Food. Come on. Everybody's eating that. It's not going to hurt you. Just take a bite. Come on. 
Uh, you know, so uh, same with drugs. Come on, you deserve to, you're, you've been through so much pain. You deserve this. You deserve to feel better. It's going to numb your pain. You won't have to feel it. Nobody understands. Nobody values you. Nobody, it, it's not going to hurt. Everybody's doing it. Pornography. Yeah, Jackie. I'm sorry? Help. Health. The medical, yeah, sure. So that you turn to that instead of trusting God, yeah. You believe everything they say versus asking God for truth, yeah. What else? Pride is a big one. Mm -hmm. Jealousy is a huge one. People pleasing, yeah. Fear of man. I just want you to like me, so I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll compromise everywhere. Just love me. Meanwhile, you are loved by God, treasured by him. Yep, those are all schemes. I can keep going. We could keep naming them. Um, insecurity is a huge scheme. Uh, fear of abandonment, betrayal we see in, in Samson's life. He's so afraid of being betrayed, and we see it because he's so afraid of it. We see it repeated over and over and over in his life. Um, the a woman at Timnah betrayed him. Delilah betrayed him. The prostitute betrayed him. Over and over and over, we see betrayal at work in his life. And I think when it becomes a scheme and the door opens to the devil, he will capitalize on it at every point he can. Yeah. All right, good. Any other questions? Any questions about I just vomited that whole story on you, but uh, it's really good. A good, th good four chapters, so read it. And um, it, look at the escalation that takes place in that story as well. It's fascinating to me. Um, I told Dave I could preach on this for a couple weeks. It, it just, there's so much in it. So, but any questions tonight? Um, those of you who are fasting, we're going to meet with you afterwards over here. We're going to let Connor close out. I'm still working on the communion message. I, I'm going to get to it one of these weeks. I just am not going to promise you when, um, but I'm working on it. It is his prayer, yeah, when he says it's right, and I, I just don't have the release yet, and I'm waiting for the release. So, so Father, I pray for every man and woman here. Draw us deeper into the things of God. Reveal yourself to us in greater ways, Lord God. Father, help us to not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom. I pray specifically that this week that people's lives would be, that the discernment in people's lives would be so sharp that they would be able to immediately identify the scheme of the enemy and not take the bait. Not not let him gain the advantage in their life. Father, give them courage to confront those things. Help them, Lord, to run to the Father. Lord, I, my, my, my heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. Lord, help us run to you throughout this week and find comfort in your presence, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.